If you would, turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We've been talking about the bridge. The idea of the bridge is that we would go out of the four walls of the church, realizing that the church is not a building. The church is not a service that I attend. The church is people living for Christ every day, everywhere. And, and so we want to get outside the comfort zone of our four walls and connect with our community for the purpose of them being connected to Jesus because that is the only thing that can transform their life. Jesus is the only one who can transform a soul. Jesus is the only one who can take a person from death to life. He's the only one who can transform any one of us. And so what our desire, our longing should be is to introduce people to Jesus who is the bridge between us and our Heavenly Father who has created us in His image and longs to be in relationship with us. And God has sent His Son so that you and I can know him and you and I can be in relationship with him. And so we want to be striving to, to live for him. Again, we here at Harvest Time, as, as Jim alluded to earlier, our mission is to see everyone love God, love people, and do something about it. And, and again, that's the desire of our heart. We believe there are four things that are vital to us as believers, to us as followers of Jesus that we can see throughout his word that are important for us to have as, as really foundational building blocks to be able to be bridge builders, to be able to connect the community to Christ. Those four things are, number one, what we call our four Gs, and number one is to gather. We, we are called to gather together. We're, we're designed to be in relationship together as the body of Christ. That, the Bible talks about that over and over again, the body of Christ, and that each one of us as followers of Jesus are a part of the body of Christ. We're here as a part of the church, and we're called to gather together. We're, we're needing each other. And why do we need each other? Because we, we also not only need to gather, but we also need to grow in our faith. And one of the beauties of knowing Jesus is that you and I get to help each other grow in our faith. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Romans 1.12 talks about, I want to help you grow in your faith, but I also want to grow in my faith by your faith. So there's this beauty that happens within the context of, of the body of Christ, and we believe that that happens best in small groups. Um, we believe that happens best in what we call life groups, um, or AKA the old school name, Sunday School. Uh, and uh, we, we believe that happens best within the context of life groups. Now, they don't have to be here on a Sunday morning. Many of our life groups are not. Many of our life groups are all throughout the week and are everywhere. They're all over the place, and that's awesome. Our goal is to see a life group in every neighborhood of our entire area, and, and for that to happen, we have to have people who are willing to say, 
I'll join a life group, or if I don't see one that I want to join, I'll start one. Um, and so we want to encourage everyone to not just gather, but also grow. Thirdly, we need to be givers. We need to be willing to give of our time, our resources, our energy, our effort, our our uh, spiritual gifts, our natural abilities, all for what? All for the purpose of, of ministering to one another as the body of Christ. The Bible makes that very, very clear that you and I, as, again, members of the body of Christ, are there to help each other. We're there to be a, a, um, a strength for one another that when one part is sad, we're sad with them. When one part part is glad, we're glad with them. And we help each other through ministering to one another. And we give of our time, our effort, our energy, and our resources, our money, all the different things that, that God has blessed us with, he wants us to use in relationship to others. And then fourthly, he wants us to go. Not just stay put inside the walls of the church, but he wants us to go out into this world in which we live and be the hands and feet of Jesus to a lost and dying world that desperately needs to know Christ. And Christ is the only one that can transform our world. And, and if we believe that, then there should be a longing in us, a desire in us to go. Go and tell others the good news of Jesus. Go and live our faith in a way that others see Christ in us. Will we be perfect? No. Is there a perfect church? No. Is there a perfect life group? No. Is there a perfect worship service? No. Not yet. Someday there will be. I, I you guys excited about that? I can't wait. Jesus, come back. Um, but we are all together gathering, growing, giving, and going for the purpose of helping others see that they can love God and love people and do something about it. We've been talking about the fact that in building bridges to our community, that when we say yes to God, our enemy is going to do everything he can. We, we have an enemy. The Bible says his, his name is Satan, and his desire is to destroy you. You're like, oh. Yeah, he, he is, he's not, He's not just looking to mess things up for you. He's looking to destroy you. I mean, the Bible is clear. He is a hungry lion, a roaring lion, seeking to whom he may devour. Some of y'all, I think sometimes we picture Satan as a kitten who wants to cuddle with you or purr next to you or lick you with their sandpaper tongue. Um, I, I don't like cats, sorry. Uh, so I'm glad that, that he's likened it. Well, anyway, I won't go there. Um, but he's a roaring lion seeking to whom he, he wants to destroy you. Why does he want to destroy you? Because you're made in the image of God, and he hates God, absolutely hates God. So he's going to do everything he can to keep you from any of those four Gs, keep you from helping others see God, love God, love people, do something about it. He, he's, going to, he's going to do everything he can. And, and we've been talking about some of the roadblocks that, that Satan throws up. One of them 
is that God has called us to bless our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, to love our enemies, not to, not to revile them, not to put them down, not to, not to do harm to them, not to repay evil for evil, but to put ourselves in their shoes, look through life from their standpoint, and understand that God loves them, and we should also love our enemy. And then not only that, but he's called us to live out our faith. While our faith is personal, our faith is never to be private. We're not called to live a private faith. We're we're called to live a public faith before people so they can see Christ in us. And then last week we talked about about the roadblock of greed and how if, if we let greed, this desire for more, we, we have this natural desire and tendency within each one of us to long for and want and do whatever it takes to get more. The Bible says that if we're going to overcome that, we need to be rich toward God. And we ask the question, are you rich toward God? How, how does one be rich toward God? Well, again, the Bible makes it clear, love God and, 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 he's, and, the, and again, the writer said this, seek first, actually Jesus said this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So loving God and then loving people, sell your possessions, give to those in need. All of these things, these roadblocks, honestly, are all conditions. They're all, really, they're outward expressions of what's happening in us, in our soul. They're really soul indicators. And, and there's another roadblock that, that I want to talk to you about today. And for some of you, you're like, okay, this is, this is the first Sunday I've ever been here. Today we're going to talk to you about giving. And you're like, oh, golly, go, go figure. A church talking about giving. I pray that you won't tune out just because that's what we're going to talk about because I hear this all the time from people. I have nothing to give. Either I'm too old or I'm too young or I've I've done too many bad things and I'm no longer useful to God or I have no no talents, I have no abilities, I I have nothing to give to God. Can, can I just tell you, you need to understand this straight up. That is a direct lie from the pit of hell. That you do not have something to give. That, that you do not have some way to give. That, that you do not have some talent or some ability or somehow that you are so bad that God cannot use you. That is a lie that Satan is feeding into your mind and you're allowing him to have a foothold in your mind and you need to stop letting negative thinking control what you are and who you are because that is not what God says about you. God has created you in his image, and you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And God has gifted you, and God has given you abilities that he longs to use. And and we need to come to understand that we are rich in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Again, a part of this whole address that, that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, here's what he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. You, if you know Jesus Christ, my friend, you have everything you need for life and for godliness. You have the Spirit of God living in you, and that is not a spirit of fear or of of cowering. That is a spirit of power and of love. And you, my friend, have that. That's who you are in Christ. You are rich in Christ. Yeah, you may not have all the possessions that this world has to offer, but as we looked at last week, What does a man gain by having all the riches and yet forfeiting his soul? You have, if you know Christ, my friend, what did we just read? You have become rich. You are rich in what you have to offer other people. Why? Because it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. Do you believe that? Or are you believing the lies that Satan is throwing? Listen, I understand that. It's so easy for us to believe the lies that keep going over and over and over in our mind that somehow we're worthless, we're used up, we have nothing to offer, we're a failure, we're no good, we're this, we're that. Those are not God's words to you, my friend. That is Satan trying to get you to miss out on the blessing of God using you beyond what you could even begin to think or even imagine. Giving is a matter of the heart and of the soul. Paul is writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 to the church in Corinth. We need to understand a little bit about the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth is is one of the wealthiest churches in, in all of, of Paul's journeys and all the ones that, that all the churches that Paul has helped establish, Corinth is of the wealthiest. It is in the wealthiest city. Uh, Corinth has actually surpassed Athens at this point in history, and it is greater than Athens. It is more powerful. It is wealthier than Athens. And, and what is happening, though, is that in Jerusalem, the church is suffering. The church is going through a famine. People are losing their lives. They're losing their livelihood. They're, they're, losing, they're losing their jobs. They're losing all kinds of things. And Paul has called the churches to gather together and give a monetary gift on a regular basis to the church in Jerusalem because that is the greatest way to help the church in Jerusalem. And so he's called these churches in Philippi and Ephesus and and all the different ones to to come together, Thessalonica, and to come together and give a gift. And the Corinthians have said, yes, we'll do it, but for some reason they've stopped. For some reason they, they have stopped giving toward what's happening in Jerusalem. And Paul reminds them that, hey, the church in Thessalonica, the church in Philippi, the, the church in Ephesus, they're outdoing your giving. What's going on with you guys? And he reminds them in verses 1 through 5 of 2 Corinthians chapter 9 of, of, of what they had committed to. And he does it in a way, and I, I, love, I love this about Paul. He's sarcastic at times. 
And he does that in verses 1 through 5. I'm not going to read those because we're going to focus on verses 6 through 15. So at another another time, you go back and you read those verses. But he's just kind of reminding them through sarcasm and and through really some humor. uh, Hey, did you forget? What's going on? And then he starts to get really down into the soul of the matter in verse 6. The point is this. Y'all, if you read that in the Bible, um, that, that's a really good indicator that he's about to, to nail them at their soul, all right? Uh, that he's, the point is this. I mean, you can't get around that. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he, that's God, has distributed freely. God has given to the poor. God's righteousness endures forever. He, God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Will they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you? Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Number one, verse six. Your giving matters. Your giving matters. The fact that you give matters to God. I mean, we even see it as it says in verse 7, God loves a cheerful giver. But so often what we do, and and like we see here in verse 6, so often we put the focus of giving on an amount Now, again, I'm not saying that's wrong, but that's not all there is to giving. And so often we, especially in the church, we we talk about 10%. If you just do your 10%, then that's what God has called you to, and that's what God wants you to do. And I'm going to say to you, I don't necessarily agree with that, because what if God tells you to give more? Are you going to actually say to God, well, nope, sorry, I gave my 10%, and that's all I'm going to do? Is that really where you want to be at? Because what he's saying here is, notice these words, sparingly and bountifully, they're adverbs describing a verb which is sows, and that word is a metaphor for giving. It's not just about quantity, it's about quality. And if you think about it, we understand this in everything else. He's using the metaphor of farming. If a farmer thinks that all he has to do is go out and just look at his fields and they're going to produce a harvest, he's goofing, he's, that's, he's fooling himself. If an athlete 
And uh, I don't know if Brecken's in here or not, but Brecken's a really good tennis player. Um, and if you ask Brecken about tennis, here's what I know. He didn't become a good tennis player just by picking up a racket and looking at it. Going, wow, that's a great racket. I think I'll just, I'll be really good. Uh, no, he practiced. He put into action a plan to get better, and he got better as time went on because he was practicing and he was putting effort into it. And anybody, I had a coach in high school that would often say, you play how you practice. And, and that is exactly what we would do. We, if we had a great practice, we would go out and have a great game. Now, that didn't mean that we always won, but listen, we, we understand that in, in, in real life. How many of you were in school at one point in your life? Thank you, okay, that's good, most of you. Um, if you just decided to show up on test day without reading, without doing any homework, and without studying, the likelihood of you passing that test is not very good. You have to put in time. You have to put in energy. You have to put in effort. And it's not just the quantity of that. It is the quality of that that makes all the difference. And that is what Paul, I believe, is alluding to here is that giving matters. Why? Because you can never outgive God. I triple dog dare you to try. And if you'd like to make checks out, you can make them out to Harvest Time Bible Church. Um, no, I mean, seriously, you go ahead and try to outgive God. You cannot outgive God, but God's desire is, is that you would, yes, in quantity and quality, give of your time, energy, effort, resources, your, your abilities, so that God can use them. Because in the hands of God, small things become really big. And he can do great things in and through our lives. I've never, ever heard someone say, I wish I had never given to God. I've never heard somebody say that. I've never heard anyone say, I wish I had never given to God. Actually, what I hear often is, oh, my word, I gave to God, and this is what he did. I, I gave to God, and wow, did God come through. I gave to God, and oh, my goodness, this is what he's doing in this ministry or in this life or in whatever it is that you gave toward. Your giving matters. Why you give matters. Number two, why you give matters. Verse seven, each one must give as he has decided, check this out, in his heart. Your giving is a decision of your soul. That's what it says. Decide in your heart. Your giving is a decision of your soul. And here's what he says. Don't give reluctantly. That's the idea of giving, giving and then being sad about it. Can, you, can we all just go, <laughs> can you all just do that? Ready? Ready? One, two, three. Okay, good. That doesn't feel good, does it? No, so it's not giving sad. I don't want to give sad. But he then says, don't give under compulsion. This is the idea of being mad. So turn to somebody and go hulk on them. Just be like, Argh! just do that. Just wake them up. Scare them a little bit. That doesn't feel good either. So it's not, don't give and be sad. Don't give and be mad. What does he say? He says, give, give 
as a cheerful giver. What does that mean? That means happy. Can you just laugh? One, two, three, laugh. (laughs) Doesn't that feel good? The Bible says laughter is medicine. Um, Amazing. So if we give out of a cheerful heart, it's actually medicine for our soul. Hmm. Imagine that. Don't give from a sad standpoint. Don't give and be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just did that. Or mad, but give out of a happy heart. God loves a cheerful giver. Why you give matters. Who decides what you give? Number three, who decides what you give? Verse eight, notice what name is there. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, God has distributed freely. God has given to the poor. God's righteousness endures forever. Who decides what you give? According to this verse, verse 8 and 9, I believe the answer is it should be God. God should be the one that you're asking, what, what do you want me to give? How do you want me to give? Where do you want me to give? What ways do you want me to give? Ask God. God will direct you. Why, why would I want to ask God? Because if God is who God says he is, if he's all-knowing and he's ever-present and he's all-powerful and he knows the needs of every single one, then why would I not want to ask the one who is, can see all and knows all and knows the needs of everybody around me, why would I not want to ask God and say, God, what do you want me to do? Because I don't know about y'all, I can't see it. I think I know. I might have an idea, but I cannot see it all. So I'm going to ask God, God, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to give to? What do you want me to give? How much do you want me to give? What of my time? What of my effort? What of my energy? What of my abilities? What of my money do you want me to do with? Because the reality is, is all that is a gift from God anyway to us. So why wouldn't I want to ask God, God, what do you want me to do with the gift that you've given me? Who decides what you give? And see, what's beautiful about soul giving is is that soul giving turns into soul receiving. Soul giving turns into soul receiving. Now, Now, you and I should not give for the motivation of getting back. That should not be the motivation of, of, of why I give. I, I should not give because I get back. But the beauty of our God is, is that God wants to bless and God wants to use and God wants to pour out his blessings into your life. Check out verse 10. God who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. What does soul giving do? Soul giving will help you grow in your faith. Soul giving will help you grow in your faith. Again, I say this. I've never heard someone say, I wish I had not given to God. Oftentimes, I hear people say, man, I wish I had learned that truth earlier in my life. I wish I had 
put that truth into practice sooner in my life. That's what I often hear. Because here's the deal. If you give from your soul with a heart attitude of happiness, of joy, of contentment, God says, I will help you grow in your faith. It doesn't stop there. Verse 11, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Soul giving is the gift that keeps on giving. Why? Because it's put into the hands of the giving God. And he knows just where it needs to go. And he knows just how it needs to be used. And so if I'm willing to give to God, he will enrich me in every way so that I can continue to give to him so that, so that it just keeps on going. It's a gift that keeps on going. And that's just how God works. Verse 12, verse 12, soul giving impacts others. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So your giving from your soul is going to impact the lives of other people. It's going to impact the lives of other people. Soul giving, and this is most important, results in worship to God. Look at verse 11. Will produce thanksgiving to God. Verse 12. Will overflow in many thanksgivings to God. Verse 13. Will glorify God. Why do I give? Because I want to worship God with what he's given me. I want to offer to him everything I have and say, God, here it is. It's yours anyway. You gave it to me to steward. I want to give it back to you. God, use it and multiply it and do what you want to do. And the beauty of what God does is he takes it and he multiplies it for his glory and his good. And the beauty is, is it doesn't just impact him and it doesn't just impact others. It also impacts us. Because as we worship him, we draw closer to him, we grow in our faith in him, and we come to understand that God wants to use us as a part of what he's doing in our world today. And the most important thing is, is that verse 15, it reminds us of God's inexpressible gift. Verse 15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. What gift is that? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He gave his only son. Who is that? Jesus. Jesus Christ. He is the inexpressible gift that whoever believes on him will not perish but will have everlasting life. So, so when I give of my time, energy, resources, talent, abilities, money, all of those things, what it does is it reminds me of the inexpressible gift that God has shown to me, and that is his son Jesus at work in and through my life, and I can worship and honor the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, because I'm willing to say, God, here's my life, take it and use it and do whatever you want in and through my life. 
And the beauty that happens when, when we're willing to do that is it reminds us moment by moment, day by day, and I don't know about you, I easily forget stuff. I need to be reminded of God's goodness in my life. And giving is one of the greatest ways that you can be reminded of the inexpressible gift that God has shown toward you. So question, are you willing to give? I'm not, I'm not saying to you, I'm not asking you an amount. I'm not asking you to, to nail down what that is right now. I'm saying, are you just willing to say, God, I will do what you want me to do? Are you willing to give? God has, has given us so very much. Are we willing to give back to him? Listen, I'm, I'm going to utilize this opportunity to give you some ways to think about giving. One is, yes, financially. There's a slide that's up on the screen. I think, yep, there it is. Um, you want to give toward the ministry here? Awesome. There's a whole bunch of different ways that you can do that. A whole bunch of different ways. Maybe what he's calling you to is get into a life group. You need to join a life group. Friend, if you're not in a life group, if you're not growing with other believers, you are missing out on a beautiful and incredible gift that God wants to give to you. Get into a life group. Join a ministry team. We have our ministry fair coming up. Jim talked about this. It's coming up on the 25th. It's a great, great way. It means for you guys that are here at the 11 o'clock service, you got to come early. <laughs> I hurt. I feel so bad for you. Um, you. You'll be all right. You show up. It's serving donuts from 9:30 to 10:30, um, and uh, all the booths will be set up. All the ministry teams that we have, we have 41 ministry teams that are part of Harvest Time. Um, you, there are all kinds of ways for you to get involved. Every ability, every talent, every spiritual gift, every er, 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 there's so many different ways that people can get involved. It's, it's just awesome. And, uh, and so come early. You can do it. Um, it's just one Sunday. And uh, I would encourage you to come and, and join a ministry team. The other, the other thing is go. Go with the gospel into our community. Be the church every day, everywhere. Are you willing to give? Would you just close your eyes and bow your head? Again, I don't know your heart, I don't know your soul, and I don't need to, God does. And he loves you. He loves you. I know that verse says that he loves a cheerful giver. The truth is, is that he loves every single one of you all the time, whether you're cheerful, mad, sad, whatever. So don't walk out of here going, oh, the only way that God's going to love me is if I'm a cheerful giver. No, that's not true. He loves you all the time. His point with that is not saying that that's the only way that he's going to love you. Really, the point is, is that when you're cheerful, you can better grab hold of and understand the love that God has for you. Because I don't know about y'all, when, when I'm mad and when I'm sad, uh, I don't think straight. <laughs> Anybody else? Uh, you just don't think straight. I mean, when I'm mad, I am not thinking straight. When I'm sad, I'm not thinking straight. But when I'm happy, cheerful, there's something that's clicked in my mind and, ooh, it feels good. That's, that's all he's saying is that you can understand God's love a little better. There's people that are up here at the front. There's people at the back. 
we're here to pray with you. And uh, that's, that's what we're here for. We're not to, here to judge you or shame you or any of that other stuff. We're just here to pray for you. We're going to sing a song in just a little bit. Listen, number one, if you don't know Jesus, that's the first step you've got to take is you put your faith and trust in Christ. There's not a set of magic words. There's not a, a, a certain thing that you've got. you just got to be willing to say, God, I need a Savior. I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a Savior. I recognize that I'm, I'm desperately lost, and I need Jesus, and I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus. And the beauty of the Bible, it says very clearly, those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So that's what you got to do. Call on the name of the Lord. You can do that where you're sitting. You can do that where you're standing. You can do that anywhere. If you know Christ, if you have a relationship with Jesus, are you giving? Are you, are you being obedient to God in giving? Your time, talent, your resources? Are you giving God your all? He gave you his all. He gives you his all every moment of every day. Whether we're aware of it or not, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, he gives you all of him every single day. Are we willing to say, God, I want to get back to you? Again, I don't know your heart. I don't, don't have to. I'm not your judge. But God loves you. He cares deeply for you. Father, I pray for each one of us right now that we would in this moment be willing to call to you, to obey you, to realize that, that, God, you can use us and that we do have something to give. If we're a child of God, we have something to give to you. God, you're good. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Let's stand. Let's sing.